and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're talking today about two nutrients that sound pretty similar, but they're completely different. It's manganese and magnesium. And manganese is abbreviated MN, magnesium is MG. So magnesium being a secondary nutrient, manganese being a micro, and we end up talking about these nutrients quite a bit. Uh, we're going to discuss them just a little bit today about what's different, what are some of the things you might consider with those two nutrients in your fertility program. And, and we do see a lot of programs lacking either of those two nutrients, so that'll be a, a fun discussion. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844 44 ag phd or you can email us radio at agphd.com all right brian we got two nutrients here magnesium which on our farm we typically have too much magnesium rather than too little and manganese that we're kind of always looking at how can we get a little more manganese out there well maybe let's talk about the manganese first rather than the magnesium because i hear an awful lot about magnesium and not too many people talk about manganese. First thing that we found is the DTPA soil test, in our opinion, is very questionable for manganese levels. The only thing we can correlate it to on now tens of thousands of data points in our research has been soil pH. So in other words, the higher the pH, I don't care how much manganese you actually have in the soil, the higher your pH, the lower your manganese level on the DTPA test. And it's the opposite. When the pH goes down, your manganese level goes up. Instead, what we've been running is a Malik 3 test. So that's the first thing. I prefer the Malik 3 test when it comes to manganese. Uh, second thing with manganese is it's one of the more expensive, well, it probably is the most expensive micronutrient if you want to fertilize for it. Because we're talking 50 parts per million on a Malik 3 test that we'd like to get to. I was just looking at one of our fields. Okay, if I'm at 20, let's just say I'm at 20, I need to get to 50. That's an increase of 30 parts per million. That's 60 actual pounds of manganese. That's not gonna be cheap because manganese roughly, let's say I was to go out there with manganese sulfate, for example. We like some of these dry forms if we're trying to build a soil overall. And don't get me wrong, we like using uh, like a manganese chelate in furrow, uh, foliar. There are lots of ways to do that too. But let's just say, for example, that I wanted to build up my soil and I needed 60 pounds. It's a dollar a pound for manganese sulfate. That's roughly one third manganese. So what am I going to spend there? $180 an acre? Uh, that's for manganese? No. I just don't see that. So what we would encourage you to do when you see, oh, wow, my manganese level is really low on my farm, I'd say at least do some trial work and maybe try a strip of, oh, I will throw 50 pounds of manganese sulfate out or 100 pounds of manganese sulfate out just in a, in a couple of strips and let's just see what happens. So we've spent a bunch of money on manganese on our farm. Has it helped? I think so. Has it paid? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's debatable. So when you start talking that much, and that's where we come back to a lot of guys ask us about the liquid products, throwing just a little bit in furrow, a little bit foliar. So when you do it that way, then it's not so bad cost-wise. 
yeah, the the cost is a big deal. And a lot of times these micronutrients get left for last. Everybody's focused on NPK and, and sulfur is definitely a really important nutrient as well. And it seems like for the most part, oh man, once you see the price for all those, a lot of times guys will say, well, if it's a good year, then I'll spend the extra few bucks on the, the micros. And if it's not, then I'm going to cut them, which is it's just the wrong thing to do. We, we find that some of the macronutrients we may be overdoing it. I mean, we've got people like you, Brian, that really likes potassium, wants to keep that potassium really, really high. But man, if it was almost as high, if it was 80% as high, I think you'd still be wildly successful. And you might steal some of those dollars from the budget and move them over to some of these other essential nutrients because all those nutrients are essential. So we need some of each of these. Yeah, but here's the thing. You, you uh, often say, oh, I want it really high. No, I don't. I want it to a good level. Really high is when we start talking, we had a caller just the other day, if you remember, with his levels of potassium in the range of 10 to 20% on a base saturation test on at least a medium textured soil to even heavy soil. Well, there you might have a problem. So one of the things Neil Kinsey's talked with us about on the show before is when sodium base saturation plus potassium base saturation is greater than 10%, that starts to block out manganese, and it can actually hurt seed germination as well. So we very often here at Egg PhD, we're talking about balance your, your nutrients, and I know that sounds complicated, but one of the simplest ways you can do balance in your soil is just look at the base saturation test, and we're going to tell you all the time, 4% to 8% on, a, on potassium. So I personally like it at 6 or 7% which is not high, that's not lots, that's a fair level. Lots would be more than 10% where I start blocking out manganese. So if you get the manganese or if you get the potassium too high, even if you have the right level of manganese in your soil, it's not the right level anymore because it's not going to get into the plant. And the same kind of thing happens with magnesium. If let's say we were pushing that potassium to the point where we're at 20% like the guy the other day, well, potassium and magnesium absolutely compete against each other getting into the plant. We've done all kinds of tissue analysis to prove this out, that if I dramatically increase my potassium level, it goes up in the plant, but then the mag magnesium goes down in the plant or vice versa. So you want to keep those in balance, which again is why you got to look at that base saturation test. That's the simple measure of balance. You follow that and you should be in good shape. Yeah, there's a lot to learn about nutrients and how to feed the soil and feed the plants. We're going to talk about two of those important nutrients today, manganese and magnesium. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag a little later in the show. You can send your questions in radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, a soils clinic, and a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Register today at agphd.com. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our discussion revolves around two essential nutrients for crop production. It's manganese, a micronutrient, and magnesium, a secondary nutrient. We welcome your calls and agronomic questions and discussion around this topic or any other agronomic topic you'd like to visit about. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line, and you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Start off down in Iowa, we've got Mike Evans on. He works with the Extreme Ag Group and tries to keep Kelly Garrett in line. I would say that'd be a full-time job, Mike. Uh, it's about four hours of the eight-hour day, <laughs> For sure, no doubt about it. Well, and and I know those guys get questions all the time too about N, P, and K, and and I get it. I mean, those are are big nutrients. We need lots of pounds of those. But uh, today we're talking manganese and magnesium. We need those as well. So uh, Brian was mentioning before too. You get too wild on potassium, all of a sudden you have a hard time with magnesium uptake. So you do got to keep things in balance. I, I bet that's a challenge as you start working with guys that are openly shooting for four hundred bushel corn. Yeah, it is a challenge, and just like you said, you know, once potassium starts going up, your magnesium starts to to suffer. So it is a delicate balance that you that you try to maintain. You know, I know a lot of folks talk about the balance with calcium and magnesium as well. Uh, what do you fight in the the soils you get to work with? Do you more have high magnesium? Do you have lower magnesium? Uh, and is this something that a lot of farmers are are aware of? Uh, it's kind of 50-50 around where we're at. You know, you get on the river bottoms, creek beds, and stuff like magne- magnesium tends to be a lot higher. You get on the, these hills where we're at, and calcium becomes a, a bigger issue. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know, you know, some of that river bottom ground can be some pretty heavy clay. Uh, do you have trouble with nutrient availability? And if so, have you got any tips for farmers with soils like that? Yeah, I mean... You know, we get over in the Missouri River Valley with guys, and uh, it's uh, 
Uh, you can work it one day and the next day it'd be a concrete pad again because of the mag, mag load in the, in the fields. And really the one way we amend it is just uh, multiple applications of sulfur or, you know, with Kelly, we obviously we got plant food, but we use a lot of AMS to help guys amend those, those needs. Yeah, ammonium sulfate and, and elemental sulfur, we hear a lot of guys talking about that as a way to, to deal with the excesses, one of those being magnesium, the secondary nutrient. How about manganese, the, the micronutrient? I know certainly there's a focus uh, with many of the growers you work with on, on getting those micros out there. What do you see with manganese? Do you see soil applications, foliar? Are you shooting for certain things on soil tests? How, how do you go about addressing manganese? Uh, with manganese, you know, through our testing over the years, we've kind of blessed that we tend to have an abundance of it in the plant. And it's really more just a, a rifle shot with those. You know, we, we like to have some in furrow uh, in our in furrow program with help with germination and getting the seedling out of the ground. And then just watch it, maintain it through the year, you know, with a few foliar apps potentially to need to spike in to, to keep that uh, where we want them. You know, with the micros, are, and you mentioned the foliar apps, there's a lot of folks that are putting multiple things in every time they're heading across the field. Do you find mixing issues? Do you find uh, increase in crop response? Any of those things as you're mixing in these micros? Uh, you know, if we're using good products and we're confident, we really haven't come across any mixing issues with them. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for guys to just research who's got, you know, Good products that mix well and and uh when you're trying to mix eight things in a tank it's kind of important yeah <laughs> yeah that's for sure well and that's the last thing anybody has time for is is dealing with a, a tank that's full of junk so yeah you're right getting uh, good quality formulations really important whenever we're talking about fertility talking with mike evans here he gets to work with the extreme ag group and spends a, a good chunk of his day keeping kelly in line so <laughs> mike thank you so much really appreciate having you on look forward to talking to you again soon Yep. Appreciate it, Darren. Thank you. You bet. Got Stephanie Zelenko on right now with AgroLiquid. And Stephanie, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Hey, Mike made a comment there, and I thought this would really uh, uh, be something I'd address with you as well, is, is just combinability with a lot of these nutrients that we're putting out there. And we're going to talk about a micronutrient today, uh, among other things, manganese. And for growers that are mixing multiple things, they, they are looking for those high quality formulations. It's kind of been one of the reasons we've used a lot of agroliquid over the years on our farm too, just that uh, the combinability is good. What's different? What's what's different about agroliquid? Is it, uh, is it the sulfate form of the nutrient is it the chelation that you're using what 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 makes it so these products work because it seems like everything you come out with is pretty easy to mix with other things they are and that's one thing we strive to do as a company is make our nutrients compatible with one another but also compatible with other things guys may be putting out in their tanks and the backbone behind all that that makes us different or what we do is just our technology behind it. So that nutrient technology is a polymer, you know, kind of protection, and that helps with that slow-release, long-term feeding, but it also does help protect those sites so they are able to be mixed and remain compatible with other nutrients when we're mixing them together with different things in your tank. You know, when you think about manganese specifically, and, and Mike had mentioned uh, it, it helps out with germination, it helps out with early vigor. Um, there, 
the the timing of these things is always a question we get. And for me on corn, I like to have stuff out there early. I love putting stuff out there with the planter. Um, we, with our dry conditions, it seems like we have the best availability that way. But what do you see growers doing with these micros? Do you see a trend towards foliar? Do you see a trend towards getting stuff out at planting time or, or is it something different? I think it depends upon which nutrient we're talking. Um, the majority of those micronutrients, there is a very strong push for early season. So usually planting, uh, planting time, just making sure we're not going to have any limiting factors. So trying to address all of those nutrients early season. Um, the only one that I would see that's kind of transitioned a little bit more to not at planting um, in late season is going to be boron. And that's just because it is um, at risk of leaching through the soils. But for the most part, and, you know, specifically manganese there, we like that early. Um, and if you have a severe problem like we do in Michigan, you probably need to do it early and mid-season and then probably again late season as well. Mag- magnesium, a little bit different. And uh, that that's a nutrient I know on our farm we have too much of. <laughs> we don't, we're in a situation of being short, but we see soil tests all the time, Stephanie, and I'm sure you do too, where growers are short in magnesium. Uh, with that one being so important in the chlorophyll process and, and many enzyme activations, um, what do you see with magnesium and, and where are you having the best luck addressing that? So magnesium is the heart there of that chlorophyll portion of the plant. And so we want to make sure it's ready to go early season. And from the fertility side, it's a little more challenging because magnesium doesn't play nicely with other nutrients. And it is more of a balanced approach to that soil with the base saturation. So most of the guys that I, you know, see that have those low levels are addressing it with a lime application, a dolomite application early you know, early season or, you know, the previous fall. So we have enough time to, you know, get that balanced before we're actually going out and planting the crop. So, you know, it's one of those more challenging nutrients. If you have to address it in season, you can. It's just better to do that as a soil amendment. Yeah, the the magnesium is kind of interesting. And and I, I look at a lot of lighter soils, and this is where we get a lot of questions with with low CEC, low organic matter soils. Just in general, with loading up nutrients, it's more challenging, and you certainly end up with a lot more spoon feeding situations to to ensure availability. Absolutely. You know, uh, Stephanie, I guess just last last questions here. You know, as growers are, are pulling soil tests, I know you've always been a big advocate of getting a complete test with all these nutrients. Uh, what are you seeing, I guess, as, as a trend in terms of soil sampling? Are you are your customers trending towards, hey, we're getting a lot more of these good sampling techniques done? We are, um, and that's one thing that pretty much any meeting that I go to and talk to about now is I like seeing this trend that people are more interested in their soil tests, and they're actually getting out there and pulling them, and they're pulling the complete test, and they're working hard to do educate themselves and learn what those numbers mean so they can make changes to their practice. Yeah, for sure. That's that. It's really helpful to have good data to work with. We're talking with Stephanie Zelenko here with AgroLiquid. Thanks, Stephanie. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, 
Together, we can uproot the stigma. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the nice, warm Morton studio today outside uh, tonight. The temperature is going to be falling, falling, falling. And then for several days, we're expected to be below zero temperatures. Feels like I'm in Saskatchewan up there visiting my friend Kellen Huber. But no, actually, I'm talking to him on the phone right now. Kellen, how are you doing? I am cold. <laughs> I bet cold. you are. Cold. It's minus twenty. Oh, minus minus twenty-one with a wind chill of forty-one. Uh, Winter has arrived. Yeah, and that's heading our direction here. All the forecasts are saying Friday night into Saturday is going to be like that down here. So, uh, I feel your pain. No doubt about that. Okay. Well, they, oh, go they ahead. Say go. I have to share. So. I have to share, so I don't want to hold it all here. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about nutrients just a little bit. I know that's one of your many passions uh, is is helping growers figure this 
nutrient mix out for their farms? Let's start with the big one, because I know if I was asking Neil Kinsey about magnesium, it would take literally all day, and he'd probably still have more to share. Can you kind of condense all those lessons down in magnesium to just a few minutes? Try our best, but magnesium is kind of what robs everything in today's soils. You know, it robs, if you have too much, ties everything up. If you have too little, it doesn't leave everything uh, come available. And one of the bigger problems that we have up here in Saskatchewan is way too much. Most of the crops that we have up here in Saskatchewan, i.e. canola, wheat, pulses, um, always remove a lot of calcium. So when they're removing a lot of pounds of calcium out of the soil, it replaces with magnesium. And over the years, we've seen our magnesium really start to increase in the soil. So what happens when that happens? Well, there's a variety of things that happen, you know, and base saturations are the key way to take and understand what magnesium is. And ideally up here in Saskatchewan, we'd like to have 11 or 12% base saturation of magnesium. Everybody's got to have a goal and everybody's got to have a wish. That's just not what happens up here, though. You know, a lot of the times we're sitting in, uh, you know, we're, I'm pretty dang happy if we get a 15% base saturation, but majority of the time we're 18, 22, 25% base saturation of magnesium. Problems that it has is because the soil is so tight, water has a real problem of getting into the soil. And then if we can't, if it does get in there, it holds on to it and doesn't release it. So one of the problems that we have to do is we have to add other nutrients to make it more available, i.e. sulfur, i.e. the big discussion about potassium. But a lot of times we'll try and add calcium to create that bigger pore percentage. But magnesium actually will tie up your water. It'll create all kinds of compaction, and it'll make your availability of nitrogen reduced as the base saturation goes up the second the multiple amount of things that magnesium does is it also hinders a lot of micronutrients which you know leads into our next discussion about manganese but magnesium if it's too low like take for example corn if you're growing a lot of corn it helps balance the soils out and i've been really trying to get corn to be part of the canadian crop program but in Ontario, we do have, we have a little bit in Manitoba, a little bit in, in Alberta, but it's one of the big sources that removes a lot of magnesium. So crop rotations really become a big play in dealing with uh, magnesium. Yeah, that's interesting, thinking about corn being a remover, but uh, I know when you run short of magnesium in corn, you sure see it real fast, so I know there's quite a demand there. Uh, the other thing that demands a little bit of magnesium is cattle, and a lot of times, even on some of these soils like you described, Kellen, where you've got 25% magnesium uh, base saturation and it's way too much, in the spring, we're still putting out uh, lick tubs and different things to, to try to feed some more available magnesium to cattle. Otherwise, they get grass tetany issues. Talk about availability with magnesium. Even when it's super high like that, don't think, oh, I have plenty. It might not be tremendously available. And like you say, the balance makes a big difference. Yeah, and you're 100% correct on that. As it gets over 20%, your availability to those type of nutrients dramatically reduce. So you got to start adding a little bit of magnesium to get the grasses, to get the alfalfas, to get the uh, uh, different cattle feeds to 
go and look and hunt down magne- mag- magnesium. And to get more in the plant, we actually, you know, we see a lot of bluing in our cereals. And we see a lot of yellowing in cereals. And actually, that is a situation where we have 20%, 18, 19, 20, 22% base saturation of magnesium. We're starting now to add that, and especially when it comes in with um, just pre-head stage in a lot, whether it be corn, whether it be cereals, or even uh, we see a magnesium deficiency in a lot of our legumes, peas, lentils, when they start to do, it's called sudden, you know, sudden death syndrome is what happens. And, um, you know, we, there's a lot of ways to look at that, but the, you dig right down onto it. Mag, uh, magnesium is really tying up so much and it's just not allowing a lot of nutrients. So we have to actually, even though we're high on magnesium, we got to start adding, especially in the, uh, you know, V8, V9, 10 range. All right. Let's talk about adding and it's manganese. And here's the problem, Kellen. It's expensive to add manganese, and you know how Brian likes to operate. Hey, if we need it, let's get it all done right now, which for the most part I'm on board with until I got the bill for manganese. I'm like, wait, how much is that per unit? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and granular manganese, though manganese sulfate would be a great way to start on it, you know, get it out early. And manganese is one of those nutrients that actually helps build structure in the plant it helps its defense mechanism along the way and there's a real balance between manganese and iron which a lot of people don't associate the two but you know as over the years neil and al and bo and bill have all talked about when your iron gets too high you tie up your manganese when you tie when you have too much manganese you actually tie up iron so there's a definite relationship, and we'd like to have 10 ppm difference between the two, with iron being slightly 10, per, you know, 10 percent or 10 ppm greater. But manganese, we really find, really takes the stress away. So when you're in a drought situation, when you're in a high heat situation, manganese really is that stress reliever in the plant. And on a whole, I've been kind of babying a lot of our crops up here. We've done a lot of testing, whether it be soil testing, sap testing, tissue testing, you know, in and finding out that the test, the tissue tests actually are showing deficient when we have a lot in the soil. So then you got to look at what's tying it up. And a lot of times we'll find that mag- magnesium will also tie up manganese and not having enough potassium will also not get uh, manganese into the plant along with, you know, good elemental sulfurs and sulfates. So, but manganese, definitely one of those big stress relievers. You kind of really need to keep it in touch. And with diseases, again, manganese really helps out. Yeah, there's a lot of things that that each of these essential nutrients do in the plant. And I think we're all pretty aware that we need enough pounds of NPK and sulfur to, to do well, but... Then you think about all those functions in the plant, NPK and sulfur are not doing all those things. Many of these micronutrients like manganese are are heavily involved. And you mentioned uh, disease and stress tolerance, those types of things. Manganese is a big helper, so we got to make sure we have it. And I mentioned that it's expensive, but don't don't get me wrong. Uh, You need a little bit. And when you're putting a little bit on, 
uh, yeah, the expense is not ridiculous. It's it's when you're trying to do a huge, huge move. And uh, when you've got some pH challenges and you've got calcium and magnesium way out of balance, it makes it so much harder to manage every one of these nutrients. So uh, one thing we would advise, attend a Neil Kinsey seminar, attend an Ag PhD soils clinic. Um, we've got a soils clinic coming up next week on the 16th. It's free. You can also live stream it if you can't make it down. If you're like Kellen and you're stuck in Saskatchewan and it's 20 below and the wind's blowing and you can't make it down the road, uh, you can always tune in uh, with the live stream option. But then we've got Neil Kinsey coming to town, and uh, what, a, what a great seminar coming up in February. You can find all the details at agphd.com. Kellen, thank you so much. Got to let you run, but really appreciate having you on. Thanks, uh, Brian and uh, Darren. I sure appreciate it. And then the old adage of a little an ounce of, an ounce of prevention is worth a Morton pound of Buildings cure. has served the American Absolutely. farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box, yeah. Her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions.
Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we like to take your calls and questions. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. And when we dive into questions only, uh, that's what we call the mailbag time. So uh, I'm going to hit this first one, and I've got my brother Brian and his favorite topic here. So I, I risk starting off with a drainage tile question that it could be all show, but I think this one will go pretty quick. Uh, the question is, will a sock help extend the longevity of my tile? Well, it can. The reason why we would use a sock or narrow slot tile, and the sock basically just covers the tile, it's preventing fine sand or silt from getting in there. So, if it's if you don't have fine sand or silt, you're far less likely to need that. Also, if you have lots of slope on your tile, you probably don't need that. So slope is a real key. With slope, that means the water can travel faster pushing through there, and it usually will keep your tile line much cleaner. Okay, thanks for the question. I uh, appreciate that. If you get any other questions on uh, drainage, we, we would love to help. Just just go ahead and send those in. Got this one from Joel. He said, hey, guys, uh, appreciate you answering my question uh, just yesterday, talking about uh, cereal rye, and then I'm planting right into it green and, and having some issues with weed control, these types of things. Uh, I, I wanted to follow up with some more specifics for you guys. I seem to have some grass pressure in these fields and also, of course, water hemp. Now, I had considered doing a pass early in April before planting with Valor and Prowl when the cereal rye is still relatively small. Then I would plant, and then I'd follow up with Roundup, Enlist One, Warrant Ultra around the first part of May, and then I would clean up with a pass of Liberty if I need to later on. Uh, tell me why this would or wouldn't work, and if you find something better than my procedure of Valor and Prowl down, Roundup Enlist Warrant Ultra first in May, and then Liberty later if I need it. Yeah, I mean, that should work pretty well. The only other thing that we usually talk about with when Roundup is involved, or when water hemp is involved, is Metribuzin. So if it's me, I'm going Valor, Prowl, Metribuzin. That's what I would do, but I mean, what he's planning here sounds fine to me. I don't see like I don't feel like there will be a lot of issues. The big thing is, anytime we're talking about post-emerge spraying, you just want to make sure that the weeds are small. If the weeds get ahead of you, that's where we start running into problems because uh, you just you can't kill big weeds nearly as well as you can kill small weeds. All right, question for you then, Brian, on this. If he's doing Roundup plus Enlist One plus Warrant Ultra as his first pass, would Liberty be a better shot since that's going to be better on these water hemp than Roundup would be? Uh, so you'd have a little bit more effective. What do you need in there for? Well, well, you already have Flexstar and you've got Enlist One. And my gosh, if you can't kill your water hemp with Flexstar and Enlist One, quit raising beans. Seriously, I mean, <laughs> well, I, I like your I like your comment about the timing, and and I would agree with you. If you get out there early, that that will be important because if you've got foot tall water hemp, enlist one is too low a rate, 
and you can't use a high enough rate of flex star to take down foot tall water hemp. So you got to get out there earlier. Yeah, but I mean, you certainly do not need liberty in there. I'd be throwing the Roundup in because that's going to help you out on the grass. So that's the main reason why it's in there, and Roundup is actually better than Liberty on grass anyway, and he said he had grass issues. So with the Liberty later on when he's spraying, I guess the big thing is just make sure you're using a high rate of Liberty, not a a chintzy rate of Liberty, because Liberty's a little bit weak on some of the grass species. Yeah, 43 ounces of Liberty at that last pass. Get them when they're small, and you spray a high rate. Yep, I like it. Okay, Uh, thanks for the follow-up, Joel. Really appreciate that. Okay, I got this one from Stan. And Brian, this one's going to test your uh, long-term knowledge on 2,4-Ds and dicambas. Stan said, hey, guys, uh, listen to your show daily. And I would love to hear you cover the differences in 2,4-D formulations and how 2,4-D differs from dicamba. So I use 2,4-D in fields and pastures, but I don't use it in row crops. Can you explain the differences between the amines, esters, and choline formulations of 2,4-D? And then what is the difference between 2,4-D and dicamba? Of course, we're all aware of the drift issues, uh, choline, 2,4-D being the best, dicamba probably the worst. But I'd just like to know a little bit more about the comparisons between each. Okay, i got to look at how much time we have here before we go to the next break so I can get it wrapped well, up. Well, these are I'll... literally like 50-plus-year-old products. I mean, other than the choline formulation yeah. of 2,4-D is relatively new, but uh, the, right. these have been out and used for a long time. And, yeah, there there's a lot that you can discuss there. But uh, but by the same token, um, you know, there there's a lot of similarities too. Okay, let's start with what each of these things is. Amine is water-based. The ester is oil-based. The choline formulation um, is a little bit different, and the big thing is we just see far less volatility out of the choline formulation. So the, the esters with the oil seem to give a little bit more burn, maybe a little bit more volatility or drift. Um, the amine, yeah, a lot of times people will say it's just a little bit weaker so that's one of the things you have to look at there. Um, and the choline is going to perform pretty similar to the amine. So it'll be just slightly less in terms of control than the ester, but not super noticeable. Okay. The other thing is with the esters, they have six-pound formulations, so you can use less. So they're, they're able to get more active ingredient in there. Pretty much all the amines and the choline formulation, it's all four-pound. So you only get four pounds of active ingredient per gallon is what I mean by that. So you have to use just a little bit more. Um, In terms of dicamba, yeah, that's been out almost as long. It's just, it's, it's entirely different chemistry, even though it's in the same chemical family. With the dicamba, they haven't been able to come up with any formulation. They have new ones, of course, but none of them can stop the volatility like it seems like the Enlist One and Freelex choline formulations of 2,4-D are able to pretty much stop volatility. So with dicamba, it's a little bit better on smartweed and uh, maybe a couple other weed species like kochia in particular. With the 2,4-D, I don't don't really quite frankly know of any weed where I would say, oh, 2,4-D is definitely better than dicamba. 
But just the other day, I was talking to a manufacturer of both 2,4-D and dicamba, and they were saying, hey, a combination of 2,4-D and dicamba, for whatever reason, it seems to make the dicamba work a little bit better. So for like straight burn down stuff, like post-harvest, a combination of 2,4-D and dicamba actually works out pretty well. So there you go. There's a little history on it. Uh, we really like both of them for weed control, 2,4-D and dicamba. But again, I, I mean, I, I prefer the dicamba, especially when it comes to kochia, smartweed, and just a couple other weeds. So was there anything else there that I missed? I don't think so. You wanted to know? I don't think so. You know, that, that choline formulation has really been a big change in, in the 240s. I know many right. farmers that I talk to, as soon as they use that choline formulation, they, they realize real quickly, wow, this is significantly different. I didn't give up anything right. in terms of weed control, and I right. don't have to worry. I, we've seen so many townships and uh, counties hey, and states move to that formulation for spraying ditches. Yep. Yep. Real quick, though, Enlist One is a four-pound formulation, and you can only use one quart per acre. That's not enough to kill big weeds. So out in pastures, you can use higher rates of any, any 2,4-D or dicamba, but in crop, in enlist crops, you can only use one quart of four-pound enlist one. I don't like it. I wish they had a higher rate labeled Perfectly. Yep. yep. Good point. Good point. That's why, well, like the previous question we were talking about, get out there and spray when those weeds are small. It's really important, right. especially when you've got a, a chemistry that uh, you can't use a very strong rate of. So you want to make sure right. you're doing a good job. Hey, thanks for that question. We'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Insects have rained since the dawn of time adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kochia, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. 
you have a lot at stake when it comes to raising corn. I'm Darren Hefty. That's why on Wednesday, January 17th, we're holding a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll help you navigate all the challenges of corn production, including how to manage exploding pest populations, resistant diseases, fertility challenges, and more. It's a day packed with information. So if you want to get the most out of your corn this season, don't miss the free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. Register now at agphd.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. It's a hungry world of 8 billion people. Let's not let them down. Commodity Classic is where you'll find innovation in the quest for bigger yields. Join us in Houston for new frontiers in agriculture. February 28th through March 2nd. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time right now, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, uh, interesting question here coming from longtime listener Doug out in Illinois, and uh, you got to get your economics cap on right now, Brian. So, Doug says, okay, guys. Oh, that cap is on all the time. <laughs> well, Doug says, I've spent the last 20 years paying down debt, pattern tiling, neutralizing pH, uh, building four plus percentage base saturation K, uh, getting my magnesium down under 20%. I've got a 15 CEC. I've applied dry micros to meet all the levels that Neil Kinsey and the Hefties talk about. We've got acceptable fall preset fertilizer applied. I even begged a neighbor to strip till and inject some dry fertilizer. Our 23 corn yields were above our APH with 30-day periods of no rain. Last year, we identified new corn varieties that stand, stay green, yield very well through drought, uh, so we can hedge our bets with those hybrids. We have prepaid for fungicide applications, and spring commodity prices are down. So the question is... Do I need to take crop insurance? What do you guys think? If you had a situation where your debt is down, the fields are all fixed up, and you figured out how to withstand drought or heavy rainfall years, would you still buy the crop insurance? We don't on our farm, but we also are fairly spread out. And I I guess we're not young. (laughs) So we're, we're... uh, maybe in the same kind of position that Doug is. But I would say this, we have occasionally taken hail insurance. That's the big thing that I worry about. So most everything else, not too concerned anymore. We're handling the drought pretty well. We have tile in about every field. We have tremendous fertility. And it would take a lot for us to get down to, oh, we, we're going to actually collect on insurance. But for each person, you got to look at, well, what kind of risk, how much risk are you truly willing to take? And just imagine, let's say you have all your ground real close by. Let's say it's in three sections all together. That's all the ground you farm. Is it possible that a hailstorm could come through and wipe it all out? Sure is. Are you prepared? Could you handle a 100% loss? And if you say, nope, I can't, well, that answers your question super quickly. Even if you can handle that loss, do you want to handle that loss? 
And it all comes back to risk versus reward. So if I had my ground very spread out, then you just have to say, hey, I've got a lot less chance that disaster is going to strike. When it's closer together, then you got to look a lot harder at that insurance thing. But yeah, to ever for me to ever tell anybody not to take insurance, I I don't know what somebody else's financial position is, so I'd have a tough time doing that. Yeah, that's exactly right. If if you've got enough that you can tolerate a absolute zero yield with all the crop input expenses going out as well, uh, then then you're in the spot that you can definitely do that. And and like Brian was saying too, if you're really spread out and you say, well, man, all my fields are several miles apart, the odds of losing all of them in one shot, uh, pretty slim. So yeah, if you can tolerate, well, I can lose two of my four fields and it's no problem, uh, then then you're probably in a pretty good spot to do this too. Uh, oh, I had had some good advice too, Doug. Uh, there was a um, an older farmer that that I would say was kind of a mentor to me when I was younger. And just talking to him about this exact thing, uh, he he said, "You're broke. You got to take insurance." Uh, and I said, "Well, do you take insurance?" And he goes, "I haven't taken insurance for years, but what I do," he said, "is I take what the premium would be and I invest that. And so I've got that in a spot where I could always grab it if I needed it." And he said, you know, over so many years, you, you've got quite a bit built up that, that you could do it. Yep, so that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. You don't just take the money and go blow it on something else. You've got to set that money aside because sooner or later, something's going to happen. Hopefully it's a small thing that happens, but sooner or later, something will happen. Well, and you might consider that as your drainage tile, too, because like for Doug, he can handle the heavy rainfall year because he's pattern tiled. And if you say, okay, well, I want to handle the drought, well, you've got your fertility levels built up and you've got heavy soil and you've done everything you can to to pick the right corn varieties and those types of things that, that can handle those dry conditions. It sounds like you're doing a lot of great things there, Doug. I, I really appreciate the question and, and just the, the thoughtfulness that was behind it. Okay, uh, speaking of being thoughtful here, this one comes in from Simon up in southwestern Ontario. He said, hey, guys, plan on growing some black beans, uh, some dry beans, black turtles, uh, uh, next spring. I'm just kind of curious what your uh, what your herbicides you'd suggest would be and, and so forth. We're going to plant them in 30-inch rows. We've got dry 2x2 two two and liquid pop-up that we can do. And we've already done some vertical tillage out there, so the soil is already prepped. Planning on at least one application of fungicide. Uh, and also uh, on your fertilizer removal app, uh, where would be the best option for planning our fertilizer program? Let me start with that app. Uh, just I would just look up beans and then in parentheses dry. So just look up dry beans. You can type in whatever your yield goal is and come up with what you need for nutrients. And then between your dry program and what you're doing with the liquid, um, just make sure you're covering all those pounds to, to get the yield that you're, that you're shooting for. On the crop protection side, I would love to say, Brian, do the three pre's, but I don't think you can use Metribuse in there. I know you can use Prowl and Sonland, those types of things, and and Spartan or Spartan Charge, Spartan Elite, those types of pre's. But um, I, I don't think Metribuse works in that situation, correct? Right. So here's the other thing. I, I don't remember off the top of my head with black beans specifically which uh, uh, which pesticides are going to be labeled on that 
well, type of driving. And, and but, in Ontario as well, because we're crossing a border there too. Uh, but typically yeah. here, if it was here, if you're right across the border, we'd be doing that either Prowl or Sanlan as a yellow and then adding in a Spartan Charge or a Spartan Elite. So I've got some of that Sulfentra zone in there. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. Now keep in mind, you also can do dual. So if you want to have three modes of action, you can have three modes of action. It's just a little bit different than we'd be talking about in soybean. So you could get dual a group 15, you could get a yellow out there and you could get Spartan. So here, so, uh, but here products like that, Varisto and Femesifen are labeled post-emerge. And I'm okay. not sure again in Ontario, but okay, well, you'd have a decent follow-up. Yeah, but let's be specific. Okay. So what we're talking about is reflex. Uh, Varisto is Basagran along with Pursuit or Raptor. So you've got Reflex, you've got Bassagran, you've got Pursuit or Raptor. And that's the big problem when we go to dry beans is you just don't have all these uh, traded crop options like Roundup, Dicamba, 2,4-D, Liberty that you would have in soybeans. Yep, correct. Oh, and, and of then, course you got Clothodim for cleaning up any volunteer you know, grasses yep. that come out there too. So yeah, you got a pretty good program, and then you know just with any of these crops, like like Brian has mentioned, if you don't have the in-crop herbicide tolerant options like Roundup and Liberty and those kinds of things, just get after the weeds a little bit on the early side uh, and try and make sure you get them when they're small. That really helps. I like the fungicide application too. I think a lot of crops uh, that r can really benefit from that. Uh, most of the time with beans. Uh, and obviously follow what the labels are. But when we get into that early reproductive time, there's a lot of stress on the bean plants, and that's a nice time if you're going to do one application of fungicide. Uh, doing it a little bit later, uh, obviously following whatever the um, pre-harvest intervals are, but doing it a little bit later in the reproductive stages can be really beneficial too, especially if you have some late-season diseases come in. When it comes to dry beans, they're fairly similar to soybeans. They need lots of potassium. So that's probably one of the biggest things I'm going to talk to anybody about raising any type of bean crop. Potassium is a real big key, and it's something that we often see a little bit lacking out there. I mean, most people are putting phosphorus out, and that's good as well. you got to have plenty of phosphorus, but potassium is huge. Okay, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it, Simon. Uh we got about a minute left, Brian, and Gordon sends us a question. Gordon from up in Michigan. He said, hey, guys, um, had a few companies wanting to sell us a product they claim will make phosphorus in our soils more available. Do you have any experience? Have you done any testing on these types of products? Uh, and if you do, what are your thoughts? We just started doing some pretty broad-scale testing last year on a new product. I, I would say I don't have enough data to, to tell everybody in the world that that's a great thing to use yet, but the, the early data we had from last year looked pretty good. So, yeah, there's going to be some differences. There's going to be some products that work well, better than others, of course. Yeah, but even if we were testing it, we don't have his soils. So would I suggest testing it? Yes, but just try it on the small scale first. Yep, great point. Always do some testing on your own farm with a few things every year. Keep track of them. Uh, and see how they work on your own soils with your own farming practices to know the best. Hey, thanks, Gordon. We really appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.